This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 79 with guest Marie-Pierre Blanchett. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Soborova, and welcome to the show. A long time ago, at the beginning of her career, someone told Marie that she's no longer defined by her job, but by a verb. She knew instantly that her verb was to create. Originally from Montreal, Canada, Marie-Pierre Blanchet is a self-taught perfumer with a background in anthropology, art direction, and design. Turning 40 made her reconsider what would truly make her happy in the next 20 years of her career, and she started with shaping her process to become an independent perfumer based on the method of trials and errors and following her intuition. From her lead role as the head of design at Zalando to starting her own company, Miskeo, an independent, handcrafted and small batch perfume company. In this episode, we'll learn from Marie about the industry ethics, what inspires her to creating the own perfume line and how she overcame the barriers before going fully independent. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter and learn about future events and live podcasts. Marie, welcome to the show. What an honor to have you here today. I'm very excited. And you know what? My first guest actually on the show, episode one, was also from Canada. Mm. And I have a second Canadian. Nice. A few Hi. episodes later. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to talk about the perfumes and the industry. And thank you also sending me the sample of perfumes. I believe there was four, right? There was five. Five. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, four were my favorites. <laughs> And I had so much fun, you know, playing around with the palettes, with the samples and seeing what I like. And, you know, what I wrote you is that I have this tendency, I love vetiver and patchouli. Mm. And I don't know why, but I always search for those notes and perfumes and I kind of select them. I already like, like them. Mm -hmm. There was a two which had vetiver and patchouli separately. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, it was like a highlight. I was like, yes, this is it. Nice, lovely. I'm so happy you like at least two of them. Do you also have your favorite notes? It changes depending on what I work on. There are things I gravitate towards a lot, like you, patchouli also. I'm wearing something with a lot of patchouli today. Like it's a very comforting, cozy note for me, like a security blanket type of thing. But yeah, no, I, I have different notes on different days, depending on how I feel, depending on what I'm working on. Also, and I also this season probably, right? Yes and no. I think I'm because I do a lot of lab work and I work with so many different materials that sometimes I don't know, like it just a material kind of pops up and I'm like, ooh, I haven't seen you in a long time. It's like kind of like meeting a friend that you haven't seen in a while and you're like, oh, this is nice. And, you know, it just gets my creative juice flowing or now I'm like, I need to build something around this. Do you form memories around different scents that you feel are, you know, like you're building up through life and they're maybe also sticking to you a little bit more because you're more sensitive, more aware. Everyone does that, actually. Yeah. The physiology of scent is that where it's processed and your brain is mm. processed in the same place as memory, as emotions, as your survival instinct, actually. So everyone has, even if they don't realize, like very strong memories around scent. I think for me, it, changes a lot now that I'm doing what I do because I'm working every day to build my memory of scent, like really trying to have kind of like a library of scent in my head that when I'm trying to think of formulas or different ideas that I can already kind of imagine how they would work together. 
but yeah, no, I do have specific memories and, you know, specific perfumes that have really shaped what I do today and places and a lot through food as well, because I mm. love, love, love food and cooking. So I think I have a lot of memories made as well. That That's beautiful. And I mean, we're going to talk more about it. And before we dive into this topic and understanding your love and um, your mission with uh, your brand, what's your background? I mean, before that, you started anthropology, design, you went into product design. How was your life was before you decided to become a full-time entrepreneur slash creator slash perfumer? Mm. Well, as you said, I studied anthropology and then kind of realized really quickly that I wanted to have more of an artistic uh, career and less academical or, you know, less on the university side and really do something more creative. So I switched to graphic design and then just went on to be an art director. And then at some point in my career, I was like, okay, I've worked in advertising for 12, 13 years and I just needed a change of life. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to move places. And as I was moving here, I switched to product design because there was a lot more opportunities around product design in Berlin, being a tech city. Yeah, and I just switched and this is what I've done. But that being said, I think even though they, all of these disciplines don't look quite connected, they kind of are and also are kind of linked to creative practice in general. Like anthropology is still like the study of codification of societies through myth, through the symbols that you can find in different places, like whether they're like on a societal level or whether they are through like our writing or language and stuff like this. And design is also kind of that you want to communicate a message and you want the message to be understood by the masses and by a lot of different people. So to me, there's that kind of idea of seeing the similarities across time, across culture, distilling behaviors as well and kind of then using this to understand the people you want to mm -hmm. talk to just understand people in general this is the base of product design this is why there's there are massive research teams as well to understand like who you're talking to and I think in some ways it's kind of relating to what I do now which is very in the abstract world right like perfume is so intangible it's like an abstract creative practice if you want that you try to put into something physical as scent mm -hmm. to communicate ideas so they all kind of I know this is like very conceptual what I'm saying right now I totally see that <laughs> but I think they kind of share that thread of from the very abstract and coming to everyone to something tangible to communicate something even though now it's more artistic let's say than but, to but also, I'm, I'm just looking at the design of Mischio, mm. Mischio perfumes, and there is some kind of symbol on yes. every of them, right? So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, I mean, here we have a product design. Did you design all the glassware? Mm -hmm. And okay, so this is the one aspect of it. Then there is a symbol. And I don't know, where did you got inspired by those symbols? Mm. It's similar to what I was just saying now, like to me. I, I was wearing my product designer hat at the time when I was uh, developing my brand, but also developing my future collection. And one thing that's really hard to do as a consumer is to read a list of notes and understand what that thing is going to smell like. 
So what I was trying to do is like, okay, I want to design a collection, but also a brand that if you see the bottle and you read about it, even like the user experience on the website is all trying to help people understand or maybe feel in some ways what they are going to smell when they smell it. So the symbols were like, I did actually, I have like a whole alphabet of these symbols and they're all taught in a way that like the shape should convey also like the basic feel or the basic notes of the perfume. So, I mean, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Mm -hmm. If it's round, it's more voluptuous, cozy, maybe more on the feminine side, if you want. Everything that's around squares would be a bit more solid, a little bit more, I want to say, like, in the woods, maybe in the spice, like something that's, like, more in your face, like, more solid. So this one is mixed, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's not a symbol that's just, like, a square. You always have different facets to perfumes. So of course, you start kind of building these different shapes into something that would feel like the perfume is like Brume, for example, is like an empty triangle with a circle in it. So it's a bit more fresh, more sharp, more green. It's a bit more dynamic. They still has like a heart, a bit fruity, a bit more full. So you could see like these things kind of coming together. I love it. There is a thought behind everything. <laughs> Comes back to a story where at the beginning of your career, someone told you that you're not defined by your job, but mm-hmm. by a verb. And creating, and at that time you didn't know what it was, right? Because mm. you told me you did painting, drawing, cooking, yeah. and started getting into the perfume making. But how come your verb was creation from the start? I think actually everyone does. I think you're not your career, you're not, you know, your personality. I think if you look at it from a purpose perspective, it needs action. It needs to do something, right? So I think everyone is a verb. And... I think mine is really create and to create. And I think it was always like this. I don't know a moment in my life where I didn't feel that I needed to create something. Funnily enough, even when I was a design manager, in my head, the way I was like feeling it is that I was helping people create themselves, manifest who they are. So creativity, even if I say my verb is create, It's not just like arts and craft and, you know, making stuff. It's really taking kind of like something that's not there yet and bringing it in the physical material world. It's the idea of manifesting something. It's also quite entrepreneurial, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So those two verbs or words go well Mm. next to each other, right? Taking it from idea to realization to execution. It's mm. so exciting. At least that keeps me every time like thrilled. Yeah, totally. And I think maybe then I'm also kind of like an entrepreneur from the start and the idea that I have this drive of creating my own life again and again and just helping others doing the same as well. But how did it feel for you to transition? I mean, you were heading the design at Zalando, mm. so very successful senior role probably very good place with very promising opportunities coming after. And then you are decided to push a pause button on that and instead focus on building your own business with a very tangible, real product in a very competitive market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if you say, when you put it like that, <laughs> I mean, it was always, 
in my mind, right? That at some point, I think I would go on a tangent. I think I will always be interested in design because I think like design is spearheading our lives everywhere. And I think if you're an entrepreneur, being a designer as well is like super useful. But yeah, I think at some point uh, when I hit 40, I had to honestly look at my career that I always felt I didn't choose the career. It just sort of happened. Mm. And I'm super grateful about all the opportunities I had. And I think I'm not sure I would be where I am if I didn't go through all these steps, actually. But I knew it wasn't going to be a forever thing. I, I never felt it was my career or even a career. I, I was just kind of following the flow in some ways. So then, yeah, I turned 40 and I'm like, okay, is this it? Is this what I want to do with the next 20 years of, you know, my working life? Probably not. And the second was COVID because suddenly, at least for the first six months to even a bit more, like you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't do anything. And by then I had already, I already knew that I wanted to build a business and or just become a perfumer for sure. And suddenly I had so much time to do it. And I'm like, great, then that's it. I'm making a plan and I'm doing it. That's awesome. But why not earlier? Especially since you always knew you were a creator, you were craving to create something. I think there's like two parts to that answer. The first part is, I'm going to go with the easy one first. <laughs> so why not become a perfumer before? Well, the world of perfumery even now is very elitist. Perfume is not considered an art form, which it is actually, and that's a whole other podcast probably. But perfume is not considered an art form, therefore it's not even taught like in art school or in any accessible school anywhere. You have a few perfumery school, most of them are in France. It's extremely difficult to get in because there are very few seats. It's really expensive, even now. And if I go back like 25 years ago when I was trying to choose a career, me being this little girl from, you know, middle class family, suburb Canada, there was no way I could ever think that this was going to be possible, right? And I really wanted at this time, but I'm like, okay, not going to happen. And then when I was about to move here to Berlin, I considered it again, but then just, you know, moving here was already enough, you know, financial insecurity. And I wanted to not spend my entire, whatever I had left money in school. So I chose not to do it again. So that's the first part of why I didn't go into perfumery before. Second part, I even understanding about myself that I wanted to create. And I, I think I maybe I could have chosen that before, but you know, there's so many beliefs we have about ourselves that are hard to overcome and first I think being an artist is still even now in 2023 is still loaded with a lot of prejudice or a lot of you know oh you're an artist thank you capitalism for making this as not a viable choice in life but yeah like being an artist is you know you're not considered like a productive citizen creating beauty even less. It's even less considered as something you should be doing with your life, you know? So a little bit of those prejudices yeah. are also influencing you. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, even more if you're a woman wanting to be an artist, forget it. You know, you're not going to get any help 
from anywhere, pretty much. Even if I wanted to go into art and not do perfume, because if I wanted to go to do perfumes, that's not considered art, then this is not going to happen. If I wanted to be a painter, again, like, maybe now I could do it because I have, like, life experience and I have self-confidence and I know myself. But at 20, there's nothing that supports you to be like, yeah, I'm going to have my creative practice. This is why I went into design, because there's a clear job at the end, right? There's a clear path to have a career. And at the end of the day, you need to pay the bills. So yes, exactly. When you turn 40, you're like, you know what? Now I'm going to take the risks. Mm -hmm. When you told this to everyone, did you experience yourself any fear? And also, did others judge you in any way? A little bit more from, I mean, my parents were like, okay, how? I don't think they were surprised necessarily or against the idea more than you can imagine their daughter living off a work visa in a strange country saying like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and my security and I'm going to launch my own business. Of course, they were a little bit like, "Mm -hmm." yeah, okay. (laughs) But apart from that, I think my friends and chosen family were all super supportive. They saw me work really hard to achieve my goals and... I was really serious about doing this. And yeah, I I think in general, the people that I love were quite supportive. I don't know if when I gave my notice at my past job, everyone was like, are you sure? But even then, like people were still quite supportive. And yeah, I think the fear is more coming from myself. You know, like when you start a business, in the second part of your life like you're like okay this is am I making a mistake what about financial security you know am I gonna be able to live off of it like maybe in two years three years but at least at some point and I guess at this point in my life I not that I don't care but I'm like it's worth taking the risks I can always go back to design to anything else that I know how to do like it's not the end of my life if I fail and which I'm not gonna do like I'm very adamant about that but if ever it doesn't work or doesn't work out how I thought it would be which is in nutshell just how life is anyways Mm. like nothing happens the way you think it's gonna happen then I'll deal with it I think I would rather experience that freedom I would rather go after my dreams than just wonder when I'm 65 what could have been, you know? Exactly, right? No regrets. No regrets. What I still try to understand is like, what inspired you to go specifically into perfumes Mm -hmm. and scents and how you started? I've always been super fascinated by perfumes since I'm a kid. So my mom used to work in a big department store at the perfume counter. So she would always bring back all these free bottles that she would get working there. So okay, she would. This explains. I was like, yeah. this is it. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she would just bring this back home. The passion started there. To me, it was like, I don't know, like little treasures. The bottles were like so beautiful and I couldn't comprehend the smell. You know what I mean? This and with coupled with, I don't know if you had this as a kid as well, but I had a set of markers, like scented markers. And I don't know, like it was just the most amazing thing to me that things smelled. 
and the way it makes you feel like the drawing market. Yes. It was like strawberry, apple, yes, licorice and blueberry or whatever it was. I was, I was first thinking like a perfumes market. I was like, did they no, have no. it back in the time? <laughs> But as a yeah, drawing, drawing markers as a yeah, kid, I was always like, wait, it's still yes. yeah, yeah, sure. Now I know it. Yeah, so I guess it started there. But then you know, I started every time I would travel. That's the one thing I would always bring back uh, is fine, even not always perfume. Sometimes like perfume oil and things like this or essential oils. Yes, I was always there, and I started just collecting perfumes and. When I was working downtown in Montreal, one of the things I would always do during lunchtime, anytime, it's just like go smell perfumes in all the department store because it just brought me so much joy. I could just escape for an hour. It's like the little ladies hated me because I, I never bought anything. I just wanted to smell things. And it kind of just grew like this. But it, yeah, it was always there. It's coming from my mom, I guess. But then how did you actually start educating mm -hmm. yourself on those different mm -hmm. scents and notes? I'm quite the obsessive person when I like some things. I just, I just want to read about everything and just everything. And I'm the kind of person that just goes in like Wikipedia and just I'm vanished for like hours because I'm following a thread of things. I think I started reading a lot about like the history of perfume, how it's made, all of this. And I would even buy like, you know, essential oil encyclopedia and just read that just to understand and also read about the chemistry of scent and like the different molecules, what do they do? And also a bit herbalism on the side as well, like just to understand like how does it impact us as people like mood-wise and our health and all of this as well. I think it's just super interesting. When I moved here, I was painting a lot. When I was in Montreal, I moved here and I couldn't carry or move all my stuff. And buying everything again was so expensive that I'm like, yeah, I need a new hobby. I need a new creative practice. And I don't know why I just went like, okay, this is my chance now. Like now I'm doing it. I've always wanted to do it. I always wanted to learn perfumery and to make it myself. So I'm just going to do it. And instead of buying paint and canvas and brushes, I just started buying perfume materials. And this is how I started. And then after having read a lot and there's amazing communities online as well now like thank you internet for that where I've learned a lot as well and I've done an online course as well so everything kept piling up but like any other creative practice you just need to do it it's a practice right you need to practice and just do it do it do it do it and this is essentially how I became a perfumer are you like one of those people you know I've watched online the ones who are like studying wines and trying to understand different tastes and they have like bottles in their closet and they go close their eyes and pick a bottle and try to just yes. are you doing the same but yes <laughs> <laughs> yes totally absolutely and also like wine tasting and perfume are so related really but oh my god yes how do you combine it I mean, that's a workshop I really want to do at some point. I want to create a wine and perfume workshop. I think people I talk about are either like very excited or like you're insane because you cannot smell like perfume and drink wine because they interfere. But I'm like, that's crap. They share so many molecules, actually, because, you know, grapes are plants. And the way the different terroir and the different varieties of grapes and the different weather that surrounds a grape will develop different molecules. And these molecules are very similar to the molecules and sometimes exactly the same molecules that I work with. 
So you have molecules like Damascon in certain white wines that are the ones that I would use when you do like um, beautiful rose, for example, or rosy perfumes, like they're the same. So you'll have kind of the same effect in the white wine, actually. I think you're one of those people that you have such a great like understanding of palettes that it's fun to go for dinner mm. because then you're like, mm, this wine, this food, you're very sensitive, self-aware because maybe I'm wrong, but if you train one of your sensories, the other ones pick up as well. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, yes. I mean, at the end of the day, receptors are going into the brain. So whether it's uh, coming from the nostril, whether it's something tasting with the taste buds, it's still at the end of the day, receptors are in our head, right? Totally. And I mean, taste is 80% smell. But I think, you know, I've always loved food as well. Maybe like all of this is like connected anyways. But I think like totally I can see like the connection between these different senses. They go in the same place in your brain anyways. Let's talk about the bad guys or the, <laughs> the trends that you despise today. Yes. It's a super good question because in general, I don't think I despise trends. Trends exist because people are, they hook onto it and then they just make it very popular. So I guess I don't despise people, so I don't despise the trends. What I don't like about the perfume trends, because to me, perfume is such a personal experience. I don't understand for the life of me, people just wearing perfumes because they're trendy and they don't even necessarily like them or they haven't even thought about how it makes them feel. And to me, perfume is such a mode of self-expression, so powerful, even maybe even more powerful than what you're wearing because it's such an emotional reaction. Even before we were talking, before the session, we were like, there's people that wear things and I'm like, immediately I cannot be around them. But it does the opposite as well. Like there are things people wear, you're like, oh my God, this is... You're like, can I stand next to you? <laughs> yeah, I just want to be around you. And... Yeah, I don't like the trend of people just buying things because it's trendy and not thinking about this. For perfume especially. Clothing, meh, fine. Perfumes, I cannot. Like, it's such a visceral thing. So I hate that trend. I hate the trend that people follow trends without thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference between small perfume brands mm -hmm. and them developing the formula versus commercial brands? Mm -hmm. Maybe you can just break down like the difference between the two. I mean, essentially the way you, you do, you create a formula is the same. Whether you're a small brand or a big brand, you compose perfume with a brief in mind or concept in mind and with your knowledge of the molecules you work with, you try to compose a story. So it's the same, right? And it's a formula written in percentage, same thing. Difference comes with materials and diligence, I want to say. So materials, of course, we have access to almost all the same materials, like me as a small independent perfumer and the big companies. There are, of course, a lot of what we call in the industry captives. So captives are molecules that are made by the big producing companies like IFF and Givaudan and those people. So they keep captive these molecules. So you need to pay a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money to be able to use them. Mm -hmm. So the commercial perfumes might use captives. I don't have access to that, but this is pretty much where the difference ends in terms of materials. How does this affect the scent? I mean, it might have just a very specific profile that I wouldn't have access to 
or it would be hard for me to replicate. And there are molecules that used to be captives that made perfumes super popular back then that are now not captive anymore. If I'm not mistaken, and I mean, if there are other perfumers listening to this, like, please don't hunt me down. Don't hunt me down and send me <laughs> bad emails. And But I think things like ISO-E Super probably at some point used to be captive molecule. And ISO-E Super now is like the bread and butter of any perfume business. It's like a molecule that's very soft, woody, musky, tiny little bit spicy. It's a wonderful blender and modifier of notes. And it's in everything, even like eccentric molecules. The first one, the first eccentric molecule is supposedly 100% only that molecule. The molecule, it's very similar to this, which is gamma super, not mm. iso super, but it's this would be the difference, right? So, But molecular was the idea of it was that by the perfume interacting with your skin, it no, that's not true. Mm. It creates some kind of scent. So that, that's how they sold it back. That's a the great day. myth, right? Uh, maybe we can just debunk that for a second. Bring on, break those myths. Yes. <laughs> bring uh, it on. Perfume doesn't change so much from people to people, actually. You don't wear so much of your own body chemistry on your skin, except in your armpit. Like, yes. Uh, there is more chemistry happening there in different molecules that could interfere. Essentially, it's what you put on your skin. So the soap you clean yourself with, if you put any kind of moisturizer or anything else after your laundry detergent from the clothes, it's pretty much that that would change. And also, reality doesn't really exist in the sense that if I smell it on me and smell it on you, it's just... The difference of perception of reality in your brain is that you is you as a thing and that there's another, right? So the way you perceive it on other people, of course, will be entirely different than how you perceive it on you or even in the bottle for that matter, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can love a perfume on the paper and then you put it on you and you don't like it. It's the same perfume. It hasn't suddenly changed formula or chemistry just in the seconds you put it on paper and you put it on you. But I had experiences when it would wear off too quickly. Yes, that's true. That's one thing. Or a second thing, it starts with the really nice notes. And after one hour or two, those notes disappear. And then it gets, it's actually super intense yeah. or I don't necessarily like it and to me it's it seems like it has changed yeah this yes okay so what you're describing is like how perfumes are structured what's great about perfume is that it's like a story it has a beginning a middle and an end it really unfolds in time which is a super cool art piece when you think about this it means also the way you compose your story with the molecules so the materials you have to work with some materials have molecules that evaporate super fast. So that means after 10 minutes, they're gone. Like, boop, they're, you know, they flew up your nose and then they're gone. They don't exist. They flew somewhere else. And then as you go like this, some materials and some molecules are heavier. So they will just take more time to fly away and to evaporate. And this is what you end up smelling after an hour, two hours, eight hours sometimes even longer, longer, like on your laundry, it's still scented, there. right? It's yeah. still there because some molecules work really well with textile. And a lot of them are musks, actually. And musks are probably what you end up smelling after two, three hours on your skin. And the 
perfumes that are trending now, they're all kind of working with the same musks. A lot of it is like Ambroxant, uh, which is part of like one of the most trendy perfume right now, which is Baccarat Rouge that we spoke about earlier uh, before the podcast. And we're not going to disclose no. what we talked about. It was... That's it. <laughs> that um, was a... It's a little rage moment. <laughs> That's it. But this is what you end up smelling, you know, in the end. And of course, this is what is left after like a couple of hours is like just the result of the physics of these molecules. But does it does it mean the high and low quality product? Does the one that you first wear when you put it on your skin and it's still there for the next two, four hours, it means it's high quality. And the one that just you buy, you put it on your skin and then half an hour later mm. it disappears. It means it's a low quality perfume. Not necessarily. As a customer, for me, this is mm. like, for me, it's a bit frustrating. Mm. If I buy something which doesn't, you know, fit the expectations I had mm. for this, it's a bit frustrating. I can't just renew the whole day like the, mm. the scent, right? So automatically for me, it doesn't fit expectations, means it's not the quality mm. product. I mean, what you're talking about is like, it's very technical in the sense that when you're creating a scent, you work with physical material essential oils and the absolutes or the aroma chemicals that you work with are physical materials and the challenge when you create a perfume is to choose the right materials to tell the story once you have that you need to still in all the materials that are possible you need to choose the ones that will go well together yeah. and then once you have like even less materials to work with, you need to choose the ones that will tell the story you want to tell from A to Z, like in the most linear way that you can. So if I can give an example, citruses. Citrus essential oil are super volatile, meaning they will go off your skin in about 10 minutes, 20 minutes if you're lucky, right? So if you like citrus perfume, most probably you need to find other molecules, a lot of them that would be synthetic, that are still citrusy in odor, and pair them with the naturals that you have on top. So the citrus note will last until like two, three, four, five hours. So bingo, right? it's synthetic materials or synthetic molecules that keep the mm. things together. And is that the difference then between some of the independent brands and commercial brands? No. no? We use exactly the same. I think it's... Okay. So it's not necessarily bad. No, no, no. Oh, okay. And I mean, in the end, like, you were asking a bit earlier about like the quality of perfumes like, or what would be the difference between independent and uh, commercial. I think evidently commercial perfume, like they're trying to make as much money as they can. It's very rare in the commercial world where you'll have true work of art. Like some of them are. Like, I'm not going to say that commercial perfume is not good. There's some absolute great perfumes there from great perfumers as well but a lot of what we see like the flankers which is like you have one perfume and 10 other ones named the same thing but it's like for night or for summer or for beach or whatever yeah they're like they're trying to make money so they're going to try to stretch as much as they can the concentration is potentially much lower as well like they work around eight to ten percent of the concentrate perfume in the perfume where mine, for example, are starting at 10 and the highest one I have is 18. 
because I don't have a budget to respect, like it's my own budget, if you want, I can go and pick like the super expensive materials because I want to. And usually they can't really do that, even though they're big companies and they have a lot of money, but they have a lot of money because they cut corners, right? Like they, they're not going to put two or three or 4% real jasmine or rose or asmentus or sandalwood. Like they're going to have the synthetic molecules and maybe like if you're lucky 0.5% of a natural where if I want to, I will just go with 4% jasmine within regulation. I don't want to, you know, make anyone sick. <laughs> but that's the big difference actually is that if you find independent perfumers that know what they're doing and that are, you know, also they have good ethics, so they will make perfumes that are following regulations that are safe, like you're better off going with independent perfumers because you know you will get your money's worth in terms of like the material or the quality of materials they will have used. Most probably you'll find way more beautiful, rare, expensive natural materials in independent perfumery than you would in commercial perfume. And then it reflects also your personality. You will have a, you mm. will wear something that nobody totally. else. So yes. everyone will be like, oh, this is how this person, this is their scent. This is their signature yes. scent. I think that's so cool. Exactly. You know, you don't want to wear the same dress to the party and then make the same exactly. But let's talk about your favorites. What's mm. your favorites? Notes, perfumes right now? What you see ahead of you, you know, mm. I'm curious, the, the expert opinion. Again, like, I think choosing a favorite perfume is really hard. <laughs> well, you said at the beginning that your taste buds are, you know, it's quite diverse. So. Yes. I think I have, like music and food, I have very eclectic tastes of perfumes. I tend to go for a lot of independent perfumers as well because I want to support my, my own community, my own peers. And I think recently the, the perfume that I was the most touched by when I smelled their creation is from now a friend. Her name is Diane, uh, Diane St. Clair. She's based in the U.S. in Vermont. She is also an independent self-taught perfumer. Her story is super cool. She used to have a dairy farm and made like Mission Star butter for all the big restaurants in New York. She's super cool, super amazing woman. And she does beautiful perfumes that are actually impossible to get in Europe. So I have my dealer. <laughs> <laughs> so I think recently her work I've discovered and it's absolutely beautiful. She works with a lot of naturals and super high quality as well. So one that I really love that I will actually uh, receive very soon from my perfume dealer uh, is called Frost. So it's a perfume made for Robert Frost, the writer. It's a very beautiful forest, wildlife, chimney smoke type of perfume, but like very natural as well. It doesn't feel like too cloying from all the flowers and everything. It's very airy, very light ethereal it's absolutely beautiful and i cannot wait yes. to own it sounds perfect i actually really love those earthy mm. a little bit like somewhere in the forest those scents mm. I, I don't know why but i adore them and there was one very strange brand i i found they had like a tiny tiny like uh sample it was like it's called tokyo milk oh yeah 
And I don't even know that brand. I'm not even sure, but they don't produce it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't like anything else on the, I tried it and it's like not really me, but that specific one, and I forgot the name of it, but it was something earthy or also yeah. I think had to do with like a salty ocean yeah. and a forest, you know? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that was insane. Yeah. And it doesn't exist anymore. They don't produce it. <laughs> so maybe. Discontinued perfumes are the worst. If I could send you like what it was, yeah, and maybe you'll be like, I know something similar. Yeah, totally. I'd love to do that because this is my quest for the last almost ten years. Yeah, totally. And I couldn't find anything close yeah. to that. I mean, even from the notes, it might be hard for me to know exactly what it was because notes are a lot of marketing BS. Hmm. But we, I can also have you smell raw materials to see if we're close or not close. I'll check on this. Um, yeah. Curious if we find it, you know, yeah. or something similar. So those are some of your favorites. And what about I mean, from your collection? I mean, just before I move on, like I want to mention as well, like the um, the entire Serge Lutens lineup, I want to say, is like always been probably my favorite perfumes. One in particular, which is Feyane Gris, which is a beautiful forest, piney, but like the pine resin. So it has that kind of red, sour cherry, fruity, Plummy, no, that's just spectacular. It's just so beautiful. It's one of my favorite Serge Lutens ever. And yeah, so I guess like this kind of like more on the niche side. So this is more like commercial perfume, but I still, I love it. Like he's, that perfume and like the ones from Frédéric Mal are the ones that really got me into independent perfumery as well. Like just discovering this at in the early 2000s just made me realize, oh, there's this entire other world of perfumery that I didn't know about, especially Frédéric Mal, like props to him for having started his line because he's pretty much the first one to actually put perfumers in front of the perfume. Mm -hmm. So consider perfumers as authors and put their names on the bottle. No one had ever done that before. Before Frédéric Mal, the like perfumers were hidden. And, you know, maybe we we will get into these questions later about what's wrong with this industry. But to me, like the secrecy and the lack of transparency is such a big issue in the perfumery industry. And the fact that he did that, it's just, you know, saying like there's someone composing, authoring this piece of art and I'm going to put their name there was like, wow, like this is amazing. And most of their perfumes are spectacular, maybe less now that they've been bought by either L'Oréal or Estée Lauder, I can't remember. But yeah, just fantastic perfumes overall. Speaking about the industry, maybe you can also shed some light on what, mm -hmm. what you wish that would maybe change mm -hmm. and also what you're experiencing as an independent perfumer. Mm -hmm. What I was just mentioning now, like the um, lack of transparency in general and the secrecy. And I mean, I understand where it comes from. You know, like chefs do this with their recipes as well. Like if you know, like proper chefs, like they rarely share their recipes per se. Like they kind of do their own thing. So I understand why perfume formulas are were kept secret. But now the secrecy has done much more wrong than good in the sense that maybe you're protecting the old perfume formulas. But now, first of all, it's so easy to buy a machine there's a machine that reads a perfume that can tell you exactly what's in it. Okay. So if someone wants to replicate it, they can just put a perfume in a machine and they replicate it. And also now like there's 
you can see this on TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. Like there's so many business that are selling dupes of well-known perfume for like super cheap. For like 40 euros, you have something that smells like Ariana Grande Cloud or whatever is the trend now on TikTok. So they've caused this instead of just, you know, opening up, like they've created so much wrong. People don't know what's in perfume. So you've had a lot of greenwashing as well, saying that perfumes are full of bad things in them because they, they have synthetics in perfumes. You know, consumers are not well educated. They don't know what perfumes are made of or even like what's a good perfume. And also like, Since, again, I'm going, I'm going back to perfume not being art or considered art, like if it would have been, maybe we would all have learned in school how to smell. Like we've all had in high school theater and arts and things like this. Even people that didn't have like an artsy profile, they still had like a little bit of art forms and music. Why not perfume, you know, or smell? Like it's such a sense that has been forgotten for so long as something important to the human experience. And also there's like so many signature perfumes yeah. that are connected to some historical events, totally. to a public figure. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you get to learn, mm. you know, like where Christian Dior's story comes from, where yeah. like the Chanel, one of their like series, which they took over, like what is the story behind it? How mm. did it start? Why did that brand started to mm. even have a perfume line? Mm. Like, what was the reason for that? Mm. I think that's so interesting again. Just to wrap up the uh, secrecy, transparency part, mm. I think to me is, you know, if something I would want to change in the, in the industry at large, is just having more, like less secrecy and more transparency because more education for everyone. Education for the people that are trying to become perfumers and education for the people that love smell and love to wear perfume and buy perfume in general. And of course, like, Perfume is part of the beauty category as well, which it shouldn't be because it's art. It's not beauty, but let's say it's in the beauty category. Like it should have a bit more explaining what's in there, like in terms of material and just, you know, cut the marketing crap a little bit. Like the weird notes, by the way, if you ever see lilac notes, or Lily of the Valley notes, or Orkin notes, like, just please know that none of this is true. Like, all of this are synthetics because these plants don't give off any essential oils or absolutes to work with. But then, you know, you'll have these big brands and even small brands that would just list notes that make no sense, that are kind of just invented or There's about 30 different notes listed on a perfume. So it's like they just put everything there just in case. You might like two or three of them. So you might be interested in the perfume while the material in the perfumes are not represented at all. You might not even have any natural material in a perfume for that matter in the big commercial ones. But that's crazy. I mean, that doesn't mm. even sound legal. No, it is. I, it's just like you must list the ingredients, actually. Yes, but in perfumery, you don't. You only list the solvents. So you would list water. You would list alcohol. You would list dipropylene glycol, which is another solvent. Then for the actual perfume, you list perfume. Whatever else comes after that are allergens. Allergens in Europe is mandatory. So you will see things like benzyl acetate, benzyl salicylate, citronellol, eugenol, So you'll see this list in a perfume, like these are actual molecules present in the perfume. 
but most probably they come from either plants or they're molecules in themselves. But yeah, these are not ingredients. That's crazy because, mm. right, this is monitored at least in the food industry, I yeah. think, wine industry. Like you have to state if you have sulfites or not, etc. Totally. Here, it's the Wild West. Yeah. So this is what I meant by transparency. <laughs> cheers to transparency and cheers to independent perfumers that might help us still find actually what we buy is what we get, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's very optimistic. I'm curious, as we slowly come to an end of our conversation, Marie, I'm curious to, first of all, hear, like, what's your favorite one from your mm. own line? I don't have a favorite baby. Exactly. I know, this it's so hard. Everyone asks me, what's your favorite episode on the podcast? I'm like, no way. It depends on the day. It depends That's on the a, mood. Exactly. It's exactly the same thing. I think... Which one was the first one? Uh, that's a good question. So the five reviews I have now, like I all worked on them all at the same time because I wanted to have a cohesive collection that was kind of like similar in terms of how it worked together and what stories it was telling. The first one that was done, I think was Dain. Dain is suede, aromatic, floral. The inspiration behind is very much my grandparents. My grandparents, all the four of them, they were all farmers. They were quite poor, actually, rural Quebec. So quite poor people, but they make do with uh, their life. But then when you look at them in any photos I have of them, they all look so well put together like they have hats and gloves and you know nice dresses and like beautiful suits and all of this and little strings of pearls and you know what I mean like that kind of dignity and just the love of doing things well of even if it's not because you don't have a lot of money that you cannot just do things properly or do things nicely. And basically the perfume is that. So it's kind of like an homage to them. So you have that sway notes from the gloves and the aromatics because they were all farmers. So I can only imagine that they would smell that beautiful hay around them, you know, during the months in the summer, in the fall. And it has kind of like that dark woods, you know, for the old wood furniture that you would... Mm polished super well and you know it's kind of like a bit dark but then you know it still has that soft floral that I can imagine my grandma all wearing like these vintage perfume with like a lot of jasmine and these spicy flowers. I remember this one. Mm. I remember this one when I was um, had the samples I was like I instantly checked the story of this one mm. and then I loved it how you said that this was a kind of a, like a scent that's dedicated to mm. your grandparents. And I thought, love it. But then I went with the one which says <laughs> patchouli and vitivier. That one, I was like, that's more me. I love the story totally. here. But I was like, this is more what I would wear. But how amazing that you can not only list the notes, but you can also list the story and co-create it. It is an art form. It starts with the packaging. It starts with the founder. It starts with the story or how the vision behind the perfume And then the scent, it's not just you putting it and seeing like, okay, does it smell good or not? Mm. It's really understanding, does this work for you mm. with all those different ingredients, which are also outside of the mm. bottle. And I think that's the beauty of it and the beauty of like respect and 
giving that visibility to the work that was mm. put to it beforehand. Mm, absolutely. And maybe just to comment on this uh, shortly, um, I think that's the difference between putting perfume on just as a thing you put on and really picking perfumes to wear as self-expression, where it fits your mood, you, you know, the way you curate your life in other places where you will get you know, you will go to your little wine shop to get your natural wine from these producers because you love the country or you love, you know, how they produce things or the way you will go to, you know, the market because you want to have like your veg from that guy because he's super cool or your cheese from that mountain from that person. And the way you would curate music, the way you curate, you know, even like the clothes to wear like certain materials because you love the feel of it, the way you would decorate your house. Like, why do we not do this with perfume as well? And I think you get a better chance of having something that fits your aesthetic or your mood or your life or even pushes you to express different sides of yourself and be a different person if you want to be when you go with smaller independent perfumery because they do come with a lot more backstory and more attention to details and the craft is usually not just like in the perfumes but also like the whole branding around it you know the whole business 100 percent. really grateful that you highlighted this and introduced it from a completely different perspective and as you see i was very passionate about the topic because i also have a strong relation and opinion about it and mm -hmm. sense and smell is very important for me i'm quite sensitive to this so having such an expert to speak to and the bounce ideas i was like yes finally this is happening <laughs> maria uh, i have very last question on the show and since i know you listened to the podcast in previous episodes this one will not be a surprise for you who you would like to highlight today as your woman author of achievement mm. I have three, actually, and I think they kind of share similarities. In general, the people that I admire that would look up to as, you know, what would that person do or just read about them and look at their work and what, what they have produced. I really admire people that are a little bit punk and that just break the rules a little bit or make their own rules and would you know, really embody their creative vision in their entire lives, even like to their values, not just to like their body of work. And for me, the people that I think represent this the most are Vivienne Westwood, 100%. Lady Gaga, and Björk, wow. which these three women to <laughs> me are phenomenal artists, uh, phenomenal uh, creative people, entrepreneurs in their own rights as well. Like Björk is even producer, Lady Gaga, she's freaking machine and Vivian Westwood, God bless her heart. It's just amazing. You know what I mean? Like they, they have created strong brands, a pickable body of work. And while being women, while, you know, not doing it the way anyone else has done it before, while just kicking ass and not being afraid to be vulnerable and different and not perfect. And I admire that so much. And I think this is, I couldn't choose better people, I think. I think in three totally different personalities, mm -hmm. what I have to think, it's like very, very, very different. And with Vivian Westwood, what comes to my mind is like, I remember I was watching her show and she was, I think, 70. And on the podium, she did some kind of acrobatic thing. And I was like, what is she doing? Yeah. Oh, my God. And then she was like killing it. And 
I thought like, wow, if, when I'm going to be 70, uh, I hope I have that flexibility totally. and that courage yeah. to be so free and cool. And the, the two as well and the, how they still continue to create. Wow. Have to say no one mentioned any of the three uh, ladies. So <laughs> you brought something very different, very new. So I like that. I, I got super excited. I was like, big names. Marie, this brings, I always want to say like Marie-Pierre because it's so, sounds very nice, but probably a little <laughs> bit, you're like, mm, keep it Marie. <laughs> I will wrap this conversation and I have so many more questions and I think there's so many listeners also want to reach out. The conversation with you make me realize that I want to explore this further. I want mm. to also understand what I actually like and what does it mean? What does it say about me? Why there's certain sense that I'm very aversive to? Is this just my kind of like, I program myself to dislike it? It helps to understand oneself so much. And sometimes we take this for granted. As mm. you say, we're picking a quick, like going grocery shopping, picking something quickly, which works. But there are different occasions. There's a growth. You can grow with mm. new perfume, you know, like a different stage of your life means a different perfume. There's so much mystery and beauty in that. And it gives food for thought. It gives me like a push to spend some more time understanding this. I know you have the workshop coming up, which I hope to attend mm. um, when this episode will, will be released. It will no longer be there. But maybe you can just share how do people can learn more about workshops and any kind of activities, anything where you will talk or speak or they can follow you. What's the best way? Well, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok now. That's a new thing. And for workshops, um, as soon as my studio is ready, I'm going to be hosting probably biweekly workshops and or talks, meetups. I'm super passionate about perfume, as you can see. And yeah, I want to host more of these events or just, you know, hold space for people to discover scent, you know, and try materials. And I know Berlin, there's like a few other places where if you're already curious, I don't know them like at the top of my head, but I can send them to. So if you want to list them for your listeners. But yeah, soon enough, I will have workshops. Uh, going hopefully by November or something like that. So I will keep you posted. Okay, perfect timing. It will be after the episode will be released, but then I'll definitely head to one of your workshops. Uh, I'm curious. I will be like, you know, do my homework. So I'm a little bit like prepared. <laughs> but one of them will be exactly that. Like this is what I'm hosting at Soho House is to build your scent profile. So the whole idea is that I will have people smell things blindly and then they need to know the reaction and like hate to absolutely love. And then after that, we have a round where I kind of unveil the materials and you can rate. It looks almost like a natal chart, like an astrology chart yeah. where you put like your favorite scents and you discover like which family of perfumes or family of scents you're gravitating towards, what kind of family of perfumes as well, the kind of notes, how can the material be translated into notes as well, like... Yeah. Things like this. So you kind of... I will be there for this one for sure. You know, create your own language and... Perfect. That's it. Perfect. The discovery continues. Again, thank you so much for being on the show, Marie. And see you hopefully soon. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin 
And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.